Hello. This lesson will be part four of the series I began uh, back in the month of March. Um, and the overall title for that lesson series, or this lesson series, is Being the Image of God. The specific title for today is uh, As He Is, So Are We. Now, I consider changing uh, to another topic, but I was really drawn back to this subject because uh, I, I believe it is material that has to be understood as completely as possible, uh, considering the gravity and importance of the idea. It's, it's really foundational to our walk with God and our perception of our relationship with God and our interaction with this world. That, that idea or concept, uh, of course, is that since we were originally created by God, to be his image or his image bearers that we who are in relationship with Jesus should endeavor to be his accurate representatives in this world. We should endeavor to be as accurate to uh, our origin as, as possible. Now we understand that being an accurate representative of God in this world is an awesome and extremely serious responsibility. But this really, uh, this reality really should also be incredibly empowering to our faith. Now we under, uh, the, the idea that I'm talking about, uh, being the image of God, is established first in the chap in the first chapters of the bible in genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 it says god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth so god created man in his own image verse 27 in the image of god created he him male and female created he them so, by acknowledging this reality in our daily spiritual lives, we realize that the, the composition and accuracy of the image is extremely important. It's extremely important. Images, as I said in, previous, in, a, in a previous lesson, are designed to establish the reality of the original thing that was being depicted. The image is not the thing, but a representation of the thing. Also, I spoke uh, uh, as well of a well-known portrait of George Washington. And that portrait wasn't, we understand that portrait wasn't George Washington, but we know that what Washington looked like because of that image. So you can see the importance of accuracy. God is the reality. And we were designed by him to be his image in this world. It's a profound thing when you think of it. So what does that mean to you and I? It means that it is extremely important that we conduct ourselves in every way, in every way, so that our life points to the character and reality of God at all times. And it's this last aspect of that statement that frequently causes us the most problems. The at all times. You see, we have a 
we have a tendency to relegate God to only a portion of our lives. We expect Him to fulfill our needs, to be, as I've said before, to be our cosmic vending machine. We put in a certain amount of praise and worship and we get prosperity out. We get uh, deliverance out. You see, we desire to take, but not to be. You see, I've noticed that our approach our approach to faith and relationship with God is often just a continuation of the original motivations that brought us to knowing God in the first place. We as we as individuals, well, we we need something. And there's nothing really wrong with that. See, you see that need it, it can be illustrated in many ways. They're authentic and real. We we sometimes are we we are emotionally fragile so we are correctly drawn to god in need of emotional restoration and stability that's a legitimate reason to come to god our lives uh, some of our lives may may have been in turmoil because of some self-destructive life choices so we are drawn to god because we need supernatural peace and of course salvation. Others may have been damaged by the general cold brutality of this world or perhaps some specific cruelty perpetrated by another person. Because of this, these people come to God drawn by his mercy and his healing love. These are all like I said, legitimate reasons for humanity, you and I, to seek the face of God, to seek restored relationship, to, to, to interact with Him and to be saved by Him so that we are complete in Him. We need salvation, we need healing, and we need help. All these things God, of course, provides. But once we begin to actively walk in relationship with God, once we have crossed that threshold of the new birth experience, which is repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, and we are filled with his spirit, we then become transformed creatures by the application of the gospel. We, we become transformed creatures. We should not be limited to being only needful supplicants or the humble petitioner who receives from God their needs. Being the accurate image of God means more than simply passively receiving, but also walking and functioning as his emissaries and representatives. I said before, sometimes we only want to be takers. We only want to take and not to be. Well, there's nothing wrong with us receiving from God. But we also have to walk and we also have to function in our callings and in our purpose in relationship with God. To have a, a vibrant and mature relationship with God, we have to make that transition. We still receive from God, but we also function in relationship with Him. We are, uh, of course, uh, instructed 
by the word to ask of God without reservation for the fulfillment of our needs and to expect that he in his infinite kindness will render to us those things that we need according to his supernatural benevolence. This assurance of God's ear with our uh, associated with our perpetual state of neediness carries with it the byproduct of peace and contentment, which it should. But again, we are meant to live in a condition beyond simply the fulfillment of needs. That is the basic threshold of a faith-filled life. We are meant to function as the overcomer, as the spiritual warrior, as the conduit of the presence of Almighty God. We are meant to be and to function as the accurate and comprehensive image of God. Being the image of God in this world carries with it the expectation of spiritual activity. When Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he was preceded, it was preceded by the declaration that the church, which we know to be you and I, would be established upon a foundation that hell could not conquer or withstand. Matthew 16, 18 and 19, and says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We serve the most holy sovereign God. There is none other like him. There was no God that preceded him. He did not need help in creation, and there will be no God after him. He, he is not a distant, casual observer of the human condition. He does not scrutinize mankind from afar, disinterested in our labor and pain and bondage to the destructive forces of sin. Jesus desires to be actively involved in your life. Now remember, I'm still talking about being his image. Jesus desires to be actively involved in your life. His love, his love was expressed to us while we were while we were still alienated from him by our sinful nature. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if our Lord is desirous of demonstrating his power and love to humanity, how should those who are in relationship with him, his image bearers, how should we behave? So the primary focus of today's lesson will be the love of God. The love of God expressed through those who are meant to be his image. So, in reality, love is the next attribute that needs to be accurately demonstrated in his followers. Today's title, As He Is, So Are We, was drawn from verse 17 of 1 John chapter 4. And I'll read that scripture. We're going to read um, 
more of that text later, but let's concentrate on verse 17. Love has been perfected um, among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I began this exploration of God's nature in comparison to our demonstrated behavior as those who are in relationship with him to help us determine how accurate we are to his character. So we look at the nature of God, those principles and natures and nature of God, and we compare that to what we do and what we say and how we live and the expression of his spirit through us, are we being an accurate image of God? Now, these observations, and by extension, our personal comparison to God as the original, they began with consistency and holiness. I did not begin with love and peace and forgiveness and grace. I began with consistency and holiness. And we began with those because I believe those attributes of God's character help to ground us. Considering God's perfectly consistent nature and his inherent holiness should cause us to be mindful or careful in pursuing and maintaining our relationship with him. And should also in this context in, in dealing with other aspects of, of our relationship with him. Regarding his consistency, I, re, I remember saying in Hebrews 13, 8 and 9, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This establishes his, his immutability, his unchanging nature. So because of this, verse 9 says, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. One of the most destructive things that we can do as images of God, as individuals who are vessels and conduits of Jesus is abandoning truth or including the corrupt perceptions of this world into our understanding of God. Every time we turn away from the accurate expression of God that saved us and filled us with his spirit, we are declaring our perception of his insufficiency. We are, in a sense, elevating our, interpre- our interpretation above the source be very careful not to do that. Holiness is just as essential uh, an aspect of God's character as love. And we must always remember what that means. Holiness in relation to God means that he is separate from that which is common or profane. He is wholly unique. The concept of holiness underscores the distinction between the coarse obscenity of this world and the divine, sacred perfection of our Lord. There is no amiable coexistence between that which is sinful and our holy God. Beginning our exploration into becoming accurate images of the Lord with consistency and holiness, in reality, brings proper context, as I said earlier, to the study of his Love, because there is a tendency of this world to focus solely and completely on God's love to the exclusion of his consistency and to the exclusion of his holiness. And we cannot do that. 
Now the natural, I guess, uh, societal expectation would for uh, would be for me to begin with love. You know, let's face it, we in this culture, we love the idea of love. However, there is no word in the English language that has been stripped of the depth of its meaning more than the word love. The concept of love has been, uh, it has developed an almost mystical, magic, magical meaning in this secular culture. It has been used and abused to the point of almost being meaningless. Uh, that is not the love that we are referring to and, and, and speaking about. God's love is greater than the love that we experience in this world. What we, uh, what we, what, what most people consume on a daily basis associated with their entertainment and, and other choices in their life associated with love is, is not the holy, uh, unique love that is intrinsic to our God's character. Just isn't. The consequence uh, of that problem, of that word being abused and, and developing this um, less than accurate meaning, is, is that we might approach the biblical text with ideas of love that have been drawn from or influenced by the romanticism of secular culture, by worldly secular music by by the entertainment industry of of Hollywood and by secular liter, uh, literature they elevate certain types of love and the perverted sense of that uh, above all other things and they use it as a, a justification for doing ungodly sinful things this world's and more specifically our society's distorted perception of love should not be incorporated into our understanding of this transcendent powerful force that we know to be uh, God's love. So, to do so, to do so, to incorporate those perverted ideals would diminish the purity of the Lord's nature in our minds and pervert our approach to emulating Him. And how, how can we do that accurately and appropriately if we don't fully appreciate what that love means. Now, to fully appreciate this, uh, uh, we are meant to emulate God in his expression of love. We, we see this admonishment in verses 7 through 17 of 1 John chapter 4. We only read verse 17 earlier. But to fully appreciate this scriptural passage and 
and the concept of God's love, we we need to first understand the word love itself in relation to the language that the text was written, which is the Greek. Now, within the Greek language, if you study it, you use there are many, many different scholars that have, have looked at various words in the Bible and have um, uh, very exhaustive uh, explanations as to their relevance and as to their roots. But um, within the Greek language, there are three words used to describe love. And they're really not interchangeable. Each has a different meaning. And one of them is not found in, anywhere in the New Testament. Now these three words are eros, the second is phileo or phileion, and the third is one that is most common to us, and that is agape. And we need we need to be careful, however, to distinguish between these three these three words. The first word, eros, um, it was, it was a word that was prominently used um, to describe love in Greek classical literature. Not biblical, but in Greek cla- classical literature. And this is, this is the descriptive word for love that is not found anywhere in the New Testament. Eros is the root of our English word erotic and is used in this uh, in, in Greek culture in ancient Greek culture to reverse refer to sensuous love or a, a fleshly love heavily laden with sexual overtones it is sometimes referred to as a love that is influenced by evil or the demonic in classical Greek liter- uh, classical Greek literature, um, it was it was the kind of love that was frequently celebrated in in pagan rituals and practices associated with idolatry. Um, one of those would be temple prostitution. Um, Etc. It's just the the decadence of that culture would culminate in this type of of expression of love, this type of fleshly, sensual um, of uh, expression of love. Now, phileo, uh, which is found in the Bible, is is a kind of love that is experienced among friends, people who actually like each other and uh, have a deep affection for one another. Your buddy, you know, that you grew up with, your, your friend at church, uh, your, the, um, uh, your associate at work that you have a good relationship. You don't have to be born again to demonstrate or experience this kind of natural brotherly love. Actually, the, um, the, uh, the, the name Philadelphia Actually, its root is in this. We, we know that to be the city of brotherly love. Its its root is in uh, phileo, phileon. 
Um, it is the platonic love, basically, individuals have for one another. It is a love that is common among man, but can't be elevated to the status of agape love. Now, what is agape love? Agape is the supreme concept of love and is grounded in the character of God himself and is the love that is shed abroad in the hearts of those that have been filled by the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, Paul speaks of agape as the greatest love of all. Verse 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is agape, that specific type of love. It's greater than faith. Agape love is greater than hope. It is the greatest of those three. This is a this is a unique kind of love that Christians possess by the virtue of being born again. This love is not confined to the conditional requirements of man. It is a love that extends to neighbors, uh, to even neighbors that do you wrong, to strangers that you cannot extract any uh, any gain from. You are you are told to to love them. It is even a love that extends to your enemies. Now, human love without the holy influence of God's indwelling Spirit is often calculated and measured. This is done because we often see it as a tradable commodity, unfortunately. If we, if we are truly desirous of walking in relationship with God and being an accurate image of, of, of Christ, of Jesus, we should have the capacity to imitate to express the love of God as Christians are called to do. It should naturally flow through us. It should not be obstructed by carnality. God loves us. God loves us with agape love. And, and we are to manifest that agape by the love we have for one another. That's how we are the images of God in this world. He expresses himself through us. We must behave in a way that, as I said first, depicts his consistency and his holiness, but also that agape love has to be something that we, that we express to those around us. To be the image of God, we must not allow that divine perfect love to be influenced by number one our past experiences interacting with other people it should not be influenced or informed by uh, previous betrayals or should not be influenced by our present circumstances we are to exhibit 
the agape love of God, whether we are on the mountaintop or in the valley. How this present circumstance with with the uh, quarantine and COVID eighteen, we or nineteen, we should we look at that and and how has that affected our interaction with our, the people in our family? How has that affected our interaction with our neighbors? Are we are we angry and 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 bitter and upset or fearful or do we do we not want to express God's love uh, to those around us? So uh, now that we have a better understanding of the Greek vocabulary, just a slightly better, uh, let's look at First John chapter four again. Verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. For love is of God. For agape is of God. It is an essential aspect of his nature. That is what the scripture is telling us. It goes on to say, And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Since we are born again and filled with God's Spirit, God's love is an integral uh, to knowing Him. It is an integral aspect of, of actually knowing Him. He, Verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We see in verse 9 and 10, which I just read to you, a very revelatory aspects of, of God's love. Agape love, God's love, is unselfish and sacrificial. It is a love that is not bound by the requirements for reciprocity. Humanity, however, in its carnal mind and separated condition, has a love that is often very conditional. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, seeing God through love. We see here again the expectation that we will be accurate images of God's love. Verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. So it establishes that fact, but it goes on to say, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Another translation says it this way. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. This reminds us of what uh, John wrote in his gospel when Jesus spoke. He was... um, transcribing what Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, Jesus said in verse 34, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I 
have loved you, that ye also love one another. Verse, 30, verse 35, by this shall men know that ye are my disciples, by the expression of that agape love, if you have love one to another. It is the demonstration of that abiding agape love that we accurately represent Jesus, that we are accurate images of our Creator. Now, verse 13 in uh, 1 John 4 goes on to say, By this we know that we abide in Him, that if we express this love, we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides, abides, remains with, is expressive through him and he in God. There is that uh, relationship. It speaks to this close relationship that we have as uh, uh, people who have been restored to relationship with God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. This is verse 16. God is love. Again, it reiterates that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Let me read read that again. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in agape love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us. This is verse 17 again. Among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world the apostle john commands uh, christians to demonstrate uh, love for one another by grounding this admonition in the very character of god this love is agape love christian love which is a love that comes from God himself. It should emanate from us because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. This is not a natural love or a philean or simple brotherly love that is found in the flesh of mankind, but is a love that has its origin in God himself. This is the love that was on display on Calvary. It was a love that was inscribed in the tortured body of Christ. Again, Romans 5 and 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was this divine, powerful, deep love, affection, that was in the eyes of our Savior as he looked upon those who crucified him on Golgotha. One writer said this, It is a divine gift and is one of the fruits of the Spirit that is awakened in our souls when we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a love that comes from God and in this type of love, God is seen as the foundation, fountain, and the source of all true love. It is through this love that is intrinsic to Jesus, that we have grace, mercy, and ultimately his forgiveness. I pray that you found this lesson helpful. 
and I hope you will join us next week when we see how this agape love should be expressed through us. God bless you.